Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. admire anybody that can play something and sing at the same time because I can't uh, walk and chew gum. How many of you either have had a problem this past week or you know somebody who's had a problem or you live with a problem? Let me see your hand. Well, let me ask you this. Does the fact that you have problems and pressures mean that you are not experiencing the favor of God? No, no, no. Many times, God uses problems and pressures to mold us and to shape us. And all the while, we are experiencing His favor, even though we may not be aware of it. Another question. What if you do the right thing at the right time? Does that mean that you get God's favor immediately and that it's like you want it to be? Again, the answer is no. No. Joseph did the right thing at the right time, and it ended up in the wrong way, at least temporarily. When you think about God's favor and you think about your life, you have to understand that God sees the whole picture. He sees from beginning to end. And He is committed to a purpose in your life. Everything that God does, He does on purpose. And so, his timing is always perfect. He is never late, never early, always on time. We're doing a study on the favor of God, and we took a little break. As a matter of fact, several weeks. But I can't leave something just hanging, so there's something about me that I I have to finish it. And I, I couldn't leave you in the middle of this story. Because we left the story of Joseph, which I think is one of the greatest stories in the entire Bible. And Joseph is my favorite Old Testament character. So I I really had to, to come back and finish the story. Next Sunday, I'm going to do something I've never done since I've been your pastor. I'm going to talk about my personal life and tell you some things that perhaps you do not know but that may help you understand me better and understand God's favor better. The story of Joseph reads like a novel because it has all these twists and turns and surprises. And in the end, there is poetic justice. Joseph is the fascinating story of God's providence working with man's responsibility. You see both. You see God doing his part, and by the way, God will always do his part. If something is not happening, it's not God's fault, it's yours. But you also see Joseph doing his part. If you've forgotten the story, let me just uh, go back and, and remind you. 
Here was a, a young man who was handsome. The Bible says he was well-built and handsome, whatever that means. And his brothers were jealous of him for many reasons. In fact, that jealousy had become resentment and even hate. So much so that they wanted to kill him. They plotted to kill him, and then they instead sold him into slavery. He was picked up over in Egypt as a slave, and he was brought to work in Potiphar's Potiphar's house, the Egyptian. And there, Joseph excelled. He obeyed his master. He did what he was supposed to do, and he did more than he was supposed to do. Joseph is the kind of person who does what he's supposed to do and then some. And by the way, it's the and then some that usually makes people successful in whatever area of life you're in. But then a little problem came up because after Joseph had been put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, everything that is except his wife, Mrs. Potiphar got eyes for the handsome Joseph. And she seduces him and tries to get him to go to bed with her. And he says no. And because he turned her down, she became angry. And the rejection of that, she made up lies. And she said that Joseph had attacked her. And so Potiphar has to put the best slave he's ever had in the prison. The best worker he's ever had. In the prison. Now we sense from the story, reading between the lines, that uh, Potiphar didn't really believe the story of his wife. But you know, happy wife, happy life. He had to do something. And so he had to act like he believed her, and so he put Joseph in prison. But now it wasn't the common prison for common prisoners, it was the royal prison. Because What could have happened to Joseph was torture and his head taken off. I mean, if somebody did that, this man could have cut his head off and it would have been totally legal. But instead of torture and losing his life, he was put into the the royal prison, which gives us an indication that that Potiphar probably felt like that Joseph uh, was falsely accused. The word prison means round, and we assume that it was a a round wall. It was attached to to Potiphar's house or castle. Another word for prison is pit or hole. So we assume that it was a round pit or dungeon. And that's where the royal prisoners were kept. Now, I want to pick up in Genesis 39 beginning with verse 4. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. It doesn't matter where you put Joseph. He rises to the top. What an incredible leader. When they made him a slave, he became the best slave. When Potiphar brought him into his house, he became the best worker he'd ever had, so he put him in charge of everything. And now he gets in prison, and what happens? Potiphar had put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything that he had. 
And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. So in the Potiphar's household, Joseph comes into that environment as a slave, low man on the pole, unknown worker. But he rises to be in charge of everything, so much so that Potiphar says, I don't even worry about anything. I could be gone for days. The only thing I have to worry about is what I eat. Everything else I leave to Joseph. Wow. But in prison, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Isn't that amazing? And he was made responsible for all that was done in the prison. I mean, he's now running the prison. But watch this. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Wow. How many of you people employ somebody would like to have an employee like that? Raise your hand. Isn't that something? To know that you wouldn't have to worry about your company. You wouldn't have to worry about anything but getting something to eat. Because once you put this man in charge, you can forget it. It will be done. It will be done well. It will be done right. It will be done with integrity. And so he's in prison but he's in charge. So what happens to Joseph in prison is exactly what happens to him wherever you put him. He becomes in charge of whatever it is. Psalm 105 tells us that they put Joseph in leg irons. Now that's probably, I got a feeling that was, uh, again, Potiphar trying to convince his wife he was sincere about penalizing this criminal. So he put him in leg irons to make it look real le legitimate. And so we see Joseph in a prison, in a dark dungeon of a prison with leg irons on, and then all of a sudden rises to the top and becomes in charge of the prison. There's one thing that makes this story so fascinatingly interesting to me, and, and I, I think to you, is that Joseph offers an amazing contrast as to how most of us handle problems and adversity. That's why he's such a great model for us. It's so good for us to, to look at Joseph because of the way he, he handles difficulty and problems. Think about it. Joseph did the right thing in the right way, but it turned out wrong. He did right by obeying his father and going to check on his brothers. What was his reward for that? He was almost killed, almost murdered, and then he was sold into slavery. Joseph did the right thing when he said no to Mrs. Potiphar. What was his reward for that? They put him in leg irons and threw him into the dungeon of a prison. Here's the principle. A key to God's favor is understanding that obedience is not results oriented it is command oriented 
now, now watch closely. We do not do the right thing because we want good results. That's a wrong motive. We do the right thing because God said so. Regardless of the results. Because you need to understand, I think you know, we live in a messed up world. We live in a world that loves wrong actions and wrong attitudes. So you can do right in this mixed up world and bad things, bad results can come into your life. But you see, you're not doing it just to get good results. You're doing right because God said do right. Believing that long term, God will reward you. You see, you do what you're supposed to do because your heavenly Father said so. You are His child. This is how He said you are to live. And you live that way, not worrying about what the, the immediate results are. And that was the attitude of Joseph. Shortly after Joseph was in this dungeon of a prison, two new prisoners showed up. They happened to be officials of the Pharaoh the king of Egypt. He had become angry with his baker and his butler and had thrown both of them into prison. Now the baker, is, he was the man who prepared the food for the Pharaoh, for the king. The butler was the man who tasted the food before the king ate it to make sure it didn't have any poison in it. But for some reason... He's angry at the baker and the butler, and he throws them into prison. I don't know why he got mad at them, but I have a feeling it had something to do with bad food. Wouldn't you? Upset stomach, throwing up all night. So he's mad at both of them, the guy that cooked it and the guy that should have tasted it and got sick first. So now they're, they're in prison with Joseph. We pick up in chapter 40, verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad? What a glimpse into this unique man, Joseph. Because you see, most people who've been thrown into prison unjustly, most people in a dark dungeon of a prison, and they put two new people in there, most people would be so wrapped up in self-pity that they would never consider reaching out to these newcomers. Joseph had every reason to waller in self-pity. I mean, things had not gone well. He had been obedient to his earthly father and obedient to his heavenly father, and yet, because of the slander of one woman, he is in prison with chains on his feet. So how does he respond? He is concerned about other people. Wow. I mean, if you're in a situation where you have been grossly mistreated, I mean, I mean, you, you just really, I mean, I mean, somebody just really stepped on you, dumped on you. And your first response is to be concerned about somebody else who may be hurting. 
Imagine this man who is falsely accused and in prison, and yet he desires to minister to somebody else. There is no more meaningful ministry than that which comes from someone who has walked the same road and felt the same pain. And do you understand that when you belong to Christ, you have a message to proclaim and you have a ministry to perform? All of us are ministry. We're in ministry to minister to others. Even when things aren't going well in our life. And you see, when the bottom falls out of our lives, one, one of the reasons God allows that to happen is so that we will learn how to minister to other people who go through the same kind of problems. So what the Bible teaches us is don't ever waste your hurts. Don't ever waste your sorrows. Learn from it and get through it so you can help other people going through tough stuff. When something tragic happens in a family in our church, I always try to match them up with another family who's had a similar tragedy. Why? Because there is no ministry as meaningful as someone who has walked that path and felt that pain. Because somebody's really hurting and you haven't walked that path. You haven't felt that pain. And you tell them that you understand it offends them. Joseph had walked the road. Joseph was in prison unjustly. He had felt the pain. He had experienced the darkness. But instead of wallowing in self-pity, he was reaching out to these two men who had just come into prison. We've been praying for Matt and Amy Gates for these past days, now gotten into weeks. And she's done well the last two or three days, and hopefully she's going to get to come home tomorrow without a feeding tube. That's our prayer. But I talk to Matt basically every day. And every day that I talk to him, he is sharing with me about the hurts of another family in the hospital that he's met. And he's already started asking me questions like, what kind of ministry does our church have for the children's hospital? To these families who are in our town who are hurting. And so I stuttered. I said, I don't think we have a ministry to the children's hospital in Shreveport. He said, well, we're going to start one when I get home. And see, he's one who can do that because every family that's come into the Little Rock Children's Hospital, Matthew's met every one of them, knows their story. But he can minister to them because he has walked the path they're walking and he has felt the pain that they are feeling. Here's how the Bible puts it in 2 Corinthians 1.4. Praise God who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort we ourselves receive from God. Every time God helps us, he helps us so we can help somebody else. God, God comforts us so we can comfort somebody else with the same comfort that comes from God. And so Joseph says to these men, why are you sad? Verse 8, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. 
Joseph, who always gives credit to God and knows that really God is the one who does it all. And so in verses 9 through 15, it's the butler's dream where these three branches of a vine which blossom and produce grapes. And the butler presses the grapes into the Pharaoh's cup and serves wine to him. So the interpretation is that in three days, the butler will be reinstated. He will get his job back. Well, when the baker heard that, he got prematurely excited. He thought, you know, that's, that's, that's good. Now I'm going to get a, a good interpretation of my dream. So in the, in the baker's dream, there were three white baskets filled with dainties re- resting on his head. And the birds came and snatched away the dainties. The interpretation. In three days, the baker would be hung. And the birds would come to pluck away his flesh. That wasn't quite the message the baker wanted. But guess what happened? Three days later, on Pharaoh's birthday, by the way, he celebrated by reinstating, reinstating the butler and by hanging the baker. Now, let me say a word about the favor of man, because here we see an illustration of that. Because Joseph now has reached out. He has ministered to this person. And the man now, he's interpreted this dream, and the man is going to get out of prison and get his job back. And all Joseph says is, you know, after you get out there, remember me. If you have an opportunity, remind somebody that I am in this dungeon, and I have been placed here unjustly. Remember me. That's all he asks. So the butler promised that he would do that. But as soon as he got out and got his job back, he forgot all about Joseph. And the Pharaoh forgot all about Joseph. In fact, everybody forgot Joseph except God. And let me tell you about the favor of man. It is unpredictable. It's fickle. It's conditional. Don't ever put your complete confidence in man. Man will let you down over and over and over. But God will never let you down. When you have God, you have enough. Joseph, forgotten by everyone else, but remembered by God. And the results of that are absolutely wonderful. In chapter 41, when two full years had passed. Now, you remember, the, he was going to remember him, but two years have gone by, not a word. But the Pharaoh has a dream. He's standing by the Nile River. When out of the river came seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed on the reeds. After them, seven other cows who were ugly and gaunt. They came up out of the Nile and stood on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly ate up the fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. But Joseph is going to tell him, really, these dreams are one dream. It was about seven heads of grain that were healthy and good, and then the others who were not. 
so remember this. God may be silent, but he is never still. He is always working. He is always working behind the scenes. You may be going through incredible problems right now, and you're asking yourself, where is God? I promise you, God is working behind the scenes in your problems this very moment. You may not see the results today you want, but he is working. And the end results you'll be grateful for. So God has been working to arrange the king's dream to help Joseph realize his own dreams. God can work through anything and anybody. The Pharaoh didn't know what the dream meant. So he called in his cerebral guys. He called in the wise men, the magicians, the sorcerers. They could not interpret the dream. Let me tell you something. When God has a word for you, worldly counsel is absolutely of no value. If the dream is from God, worldly counsel will not help you. It's of no value. Verse 10, the chief cupbearer, butler, says, Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me, and the chief, said the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night. Each dream had a meaning of its own. Now young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams. He interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So here was the opportunity to talk about Joseph and to remember what Joseph did in the prison two years earlier. But you see, God is so orchestrating this that I believe God set this whole thing up and God had the butler standing next to the Pharaoh. Only the butler butler knew about Joseph and his ability to interpret dreams. So God has him standing right by the Pharaoh when this dream thing came up. Verse 14, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So he got fixed up before he went to meet the, the top guy. Let's, let me just ask you a question since you brought it up. How would you get the most powerful man in the world to listen to you? If you wanted to talk to the most powerful man in the world, how would you get him to listen to you? Well, God knew how to get the Pharaoh's attention. He gave him a problem that he couldn't solve. And when he went to all of his wise men and his magicians and sorcerers, they couldn't solve it either. He had tried all the resources. And dreams were critical in those days, especially to leaders. And he had to know the meaning of this dream, and yet there was nobody who could do it. But he hears about one person who can. And now Joseph is going to get to, to meet with a Pharaoh. God has Joseph waiting in the wings all the time, preparing him for this very moment, working in his life, shaping him. You see, God has been using slavery and prison and unjust treatment and a thousand other things to prepare the heart and mind and spirit of Joseph to be the prime minister. God was doing it all, and that takes time. 
See, 13 years go by. The problem with us is we want to see it happen tomorrow. We want relief by Friday. But it takes time, and God is, is working behind the scenes. God was also preparing Pharaoh. In verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to Joseph. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph always stepping back and saying, it's not me, it's not about me. It's all God. I cannot do it. But God can do anything. So here's the interpretation. You've had two dreams, but they both mean the same. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven thin and ugly cows represent seven years. So what's going to happen, you're going to have seven years of great plenty in Egypt. And then you're going to have seven years of famine. So much so that it's going to deplete the land. But what I want you to understand is that it was God who presented Joseph to Pharaoh. God orchestrated that. It was God who predicted Israel's future. It was God who proposed a solution to the Pharaoh's problem. And Joseph knows that. And now, verse 33, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these seven good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the, for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country will not be ruined by the famine. Pharaoh liked that plan a whole lot. So here's what he says. Can we find anyone like this man? Anyone who could do a plan like that? One in whom the Spirit of God resides? I want you to know Joseph isn't seeking a job the furthest thing from his mind. Joseph is sharing God's wisdom. And a light comes on in Pharaoh's mind. I'm standing by the guy who can do this. Verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. But Joseph knew that it was God who was about to promote him. It was God who had him become prime minister. It was God who had prepared him through all that had happened, all the circumstances, to get where he's going to get. So here's what, here's what he says. The Pharaoh to Joseph, You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only in respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring and put it on Joseph's finger. You know, when anything was official document, it would be stamped by the king. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and had him ride in a hummer. No, no, that's his chariot. As his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way. 
Thus he put him in charge of the whole of Egypt. Wow. Can you imagine where this kid has come from? And can you imagine where he is now? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Can I tell you, you don't ever need more than God. His favor is all you ever need. God can do anything you'll ever need done in your life. Joseph jumped from the dark dungeon of a prison to the bright light to the palace. From the pit to the palace. God's favor can do more in a moment than you can do in your own strength in a lifetime. But don't forget, God had prepared Joseph for this jump. Don't forget... He had to prepare his heart. He had to grow him up. He had to mature him. He had to to build steel into his soul. You see, we want the position without the process. I mean, we like the sound of the word. You're in charge of all of Egypt. Nobody lifts a hand or lifts a foot. Nobody does anything unless you say so. We say, wow. To be in charge of the whole country. You see, we want the position, but not the process that it took to get him there. You want all these good things God may do for you out there, but you don't want to pay the price so that those things can come about in your life. Remember, Joseph was first a model slave. And then he was the head slave. He was first a model prisoner. And then he was the head prisoner. See, some of you can't even get promoted in your department because you hadn't become the model worker. But you want to be head. You want to be in charge. The Bible says if you're faithful in doing little things, then big things come into your life. But there's a process, there's there's preparation. That's why Joseph is such a great example, because he went through the process and he did it so well. He said, but I'm not Joseph, I'm not a biblical character. Joseph was an ordinary man. He just gave himself to an extraordinary God. It was the God in Joseph that made the difference. Now, the first thing that Pharaoh does is to give Joseph a wife. And then God blessed him with two children, two sons. Manasseh, the the son, and his name means forgetfulness. And then Ephraim, whose name means faithfulness. In biblical days, the names always meant something important. And I think Joseph would say to you and me today, if he were standing here, the issue is never position, it's always faithfulness. And Joseph is saying, if you want to get ahead in life, you've got to forget your past. Don't let your past define your present. 
Don't let your past define who you are today. You've got to forget, Paul says, forget that which lies behind and press on toward the future. And that's what Joseph is saying. He named his son forgetfulness. I'm forgetting the slavery, what my brothers did to me. I'm forgetting that dirty dungeon of a prison. I'm moving on, depending on the faithfulness of God. So then we read in chapter 41, verse 47, that during all these seven years of abundance, that the land produced bountifully, plentifully. And Joseph collected all the food so that they had so much, he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Can I tell you that God is committed to meeting your needs? He gives us what we need, and he gives us more than we need. That's why I don't understand why people don't give to God, because you can't give God. The more you give to him, the more he gives back to you. He gives us more than we need. And so he blessed them so they had all this food. They had more food than normally this land would produce. Verse 35, verse 55 of chapter 41. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in the whole world. Keep in mind, Joseph is in the will of God, experiencing the favor of God. In a world of a terrible famine, he has food and is in charge of the food. His brothers, Jacob and his sons in Canaan, out of the will of God, lives of resentment and bitterness and regret, they are starving and have no food. I simply say to you, the smartest decision any of you will ever make is to give your life unreservedly to God and live for Him daily. There is no better way to live. When Jacob, over in chapter 42, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I mean, we're starving. You're sitting here looking at each other. He continued, I have heard that there is, in, there is food in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of his brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. And we'll talk about that these next couple of weeks. Let me wrap it up by applying, give you some principles that you can apply in your life. Some principles related to the the value of problems. Problems are friends, not enemies. Struggle is necessary. I've been thinking lately, I ought to preach a sermon one Sunday on if if it ain't one thing, it's another. (laughs) Have you found that in your life? I mean, you think, I I mean, the rest of of the week's going to be good. Then something else happens. You get this thing paid for and the car breaks down. Not one thing, it's another. Well, here are the principles. Number one, 
present problems prepare us for tomorrow's opportunities. That's the heart of this message. Joseph got experience in running Potiphar's house. He got experience in running the prison. And he needed all that experience to be the prime minister of Egypt. God knew what he needed when he didn't know what he needed. But God was preparing him. It it seemed rough at the time. It seemed difficult at the time. It was pressure. It, It was filled with problems. But God was knew that these things had to happen, the process had to happen, so that when he became the prime minister, he was prepared to be the prime minister. See, God has something special out there for you to do, but if you mess up and won't go through the process, you'll never experience what God had for you. You'll miss out on it. Number two, the proper perspective for a believer is to see God in every situation. You know, it's been said by somebody that that if anything that happens in your life, if you could see it from God's perspective, you would be thankful that it happened and would know that it was necessary. God loves you that much. He never forgets you. He's never unaware of your hurt, of your pain. And what he does in our life, if you could see life from God's perspective, you would do exactly what God does. You would make the decision that God makes. If you knew everything that God knows, and you could see everything that God sees. That's why you just got to trust him. And that's what Joseph did. Number three, true prosperity. Listen to me. True prosperity isn't based on what you have, but on how much God has of you. True prosperity is not based on your bank account. It's not based on your assets. It's not based on how much stuff you have. True prosperity, true success is based on how much God has of you. You've given God your whole heart. My friend, you are walking in success. You are living the prosperous life. Joseph was a slave, but he was a prosperous slave. Joseph was a prisoner, but he was a prosperous prisoner. Number four, problems soften our hearts for ministry. You see, if we'd never hurt, we wouldn't know how to help others who hurt. We wouldn't know how to minister to other people. Joseph had been through the rejection, the resentment, and the hate from his brothers. He'd been through that slavery. He had been through that unjust prison. And so he reaches out and ministers to the fellow prisoners. Why are you so sad? Can I help you? You look sad. It softens our heart for ministry. Number five, problems mature us spiritually. Growing up isn't easy. Not easy for kids to grow up. It's painful at times. And you make mistakes and you suffer consequences. 
but problems will always make us better unless we choose to become bitter instead. Problems will always surge you forward, not set you back. Surge you forward if you will see them through God's eyes and you will accept them as process. And the only way that doesn't happen is when you get bitter by your own choice. Number six, problems produce inner strength and stability as we learn to depend on God. You'll see the phrase over and over in this story of Joseph, but the Lord was with Joseph. What more do you need? Nothing can separate us from God's love and God's purpose for our lives. And ladies and gentlemen, that includes circumstances. That includes problems and difficulties. Let me ask it this way. Could it be that what you are crying over this morning your loving Heavenly Father is rejoicing over because He sees the end result. Did you get that? Could it be that what you're crying over, what you're complaining about, your loving Heavenly Father is rejoicing over because He sees the completed picture? He sees the end from the beginning. And he knows that it's going to be good. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Our light affliction is but for a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. You see, in the pit, in the prison, God put steel in the soul of Joseph. God gave him that inner strength and stability. God used rejection. God used the pit. God used slavery. God used the prison. God used the slander of a woman. Psalm 105 verse 18 says, His soul entered into iron. God used all of those things which seemed so bad at the time to put steel in his soul. The strength of purpose is hammered out in the crucible of adversity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word that challenges us and convicts us and comforts us. Help us this morning to take your truth and apply it in our lives to the point that even though we are in the midst of a problem right now that we cannot see our way out, we're going to by faith thank you for the problem. 
thank you for the process. Believing that you're in charge. You know what's going on. And the end is going to be good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand our feet across the building. As we stand and sing in a in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come forward if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life as your personal Lord and Savior. Why don't you do that today? There's no better time than this day. No better decision than the decision to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Do it today. Just walk down one of these aisles and say to one of the ministers, I want to become a Christian. I want Christ to come into my heart and life. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm on my way to heaven. Maybe you've gotten away from God. You want to come back and just make a fresh commitment to God. You can come. Come pray one of these ministers. Or come just kneel at the altar and pray. Maybe you're struggling through a problem right now. And it had really gotten you down. And this morning, for the first time, you've understood that problems are friends, not enemies. And that God never forsakes us in our problems. But he wants to use those problems to make us better. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 